hello and welcome to Cast the Thought to your Witcher. I'm your co-host Dob. I'm your co-host Aaron. And I'm your co-host Max. And today we're discussing season one. Sorry, shit. <laughs> Force of habit. We are not discussing season one. We are having a bonus episode on a road with no return. If you want to be technical, I think the Polish translates literally as something like the road that there is no return from. Uh, <laughs> it's a very <laughs> Philip K. Dick title. Right, yeah. Um, which is um, a short story uh, Andrzej Sapkowski wrote about Geralt's mother, Vicenna, and someone who is presumably, judging by the romantic relationship they start over the course of the story, Geralt's father, a warrior named Corin. Um, yes. What was what, what were everyone's thoughts on it? Uh, I really liked it. So, um, the publication history of this was interesting, right? Like, it was something that he wrote really, really early, right? Like, before he even really was crafting The Witcher. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Osir told me as much. Shout out to our friend Osir on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Um, because I believe the idea that, that it was that, um, this was published in 1988, which was about a year and a half after the first story, the first, like, The Witcher story came out. So it is after, published after the first The Witcher story, but that Vicenna was not initially intended to be Geralt's mother, and that was uh, something that sort of evolved later. But yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know what you yeah, guys Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I've got some thoughts, actually. Um, like, I've actually got exactly three notes um, about cool stuff I noticed. <laughs> so, okay. Um... <laughs> one thing is everyone please note we we actually all read what is i mean not the best translation because it's a translation into english from the german translation um so it's by a fan well done well done to them um like yes. tina b shout out yes. to tina b but yeah. the end result is a little bit that like um it's quite distant from the Polish original, one has to presume, just in terms of, like, the quality of language and such. So, if if I'm quoting a bit of dialogue, it's probably not going to be very accurate if someone's read the Polish original. I think, to be <laughs> fair, it's probably comparable to, like, the translation of Blood of, Blood of Elves, which yeah, is not a great right. translation either. And that one has... uh, so it's no worse than the actual that canon. Was, <laughs> that one has no excuse, because that one is actually just translated directly from, from the Polish and is still not a great translation. But... The thing that I noted was that at one point, um, where Corin basically confesses to Vicenna that um, he's not an honorable knight but a mercenary, that it like and it, like how he calls himself like a bandit, I, I like I mean that word seems like out of place, so I'm thinking maybe it was something more like fog in the original, but it actually reminds me a lot of a bit in Times of Contempt, where. Um, Geralt and Vilgefortz are speaking um, and Geralt actually like says to Vilgefortz that some uh, again there I read the Lithuanian translation so the English translation might be might be slightly different but Geralt says to Vilgefortz something along the lines of I'm basically a bone-breaking thug and incidentally so was my father from what I know of him yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I so I thought that, that was cool because that seems like a pretty big hint that Corin is Geralt's dad, actually. Yeah, 
I think that's basically confirmed. I'm sure I've read it somewhere that like it's just that it's been referred to so many times. Yeah, that... it's it's like one of those things where like I don't think like he ever explicitly says it in writing, but it's basically accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, I actually just really liked how how Vicenna and Corin's internal monologues actually describe the, like the feeling of starting to feel attracted to each other, like where they were like, oh, like. Oh, oh, you yeah. know, like she wondered wondered whether, like they had been wandering the wilderness alone for far too long. Oh, my favorite part was when she said, um, that, when it said that she liked him, tall, blonde, with a narrow face and pronounced chin. He didn't stink like most men she had met, which is like, oh, Geralt didn't inherit that one. Poor smelly Geralt. <laughs> and actually, she immediately she immediately observes like that. She her internal monologue immediately goes. Uh, she decided to chase away the fact that, like, she herself has, like, not had a bath for a while or something like that. So I think Geralt inherited that from his mom. How <laughs> 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 uh, druids are very earthy, yeah. so, you know. Should we, um, like, yeah, talk about the, yeah. the, the plot? Why not? Like, Why not, yeah. So basically, we're, we're introduced to Vicenna as she's sort of in the woods and she she comes across a man who's beside a, a corpse. And we got our first description of Vicenna, which is that she's got either copper or strawberry blonde hair, which is kind of creepy given Geralt's like thing in Season of Storms yeah. and how he has this predilection for redheads yes. that he's not sure where it came from. It's like, come on, <laughs> really? Yikes, Yikes. guys. Um, <laughs> I suppose at this point we should remind the listeners that... Uh, Bonus episodes are not spoiler-free, so before, full spoilers yes. ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when she comes across uh, our our injured man, uh, she you know she heals him of his injuries and notes that there's a sign on the road saying that there's no return from the road ahead, despite it being sort of a popular merchant route. And sort of we get a sense of Vicenna's sort of abilities right away. She's healing him. She reads his mind because she says to him, like, she says something and then ends it with his name is Corin and he's like uh, I didn't tell you my name so she's kind of freaking him out from from the start so she basically finds out from him that uh, a young woman disguised as a hag I don't know what kind of monster this might have been or what kind of did, did this twig anything for you guys because like he says it looked like a hag but it was actually a young woman and then uh, it could be uh, an alp or a broxa yeah like, I mean just a water hag or something of, like like there's there's a few shape shifting monsters in the Witcher lore. It, like what well, doesn't it? Does, I don't think it neatly maps onto anything, but like could have been a number of things. Yeah, so so Corin sort of evades this woman's attempt to kill him and kills her in the process. And Vicenna decides that the the best plan here to find out what happened is to do some necromancy, which is yes, <laughs> she she does a pretty scary and to be totally honest the only instance of necromancy that we witness physically in the witcher canon like, yeah yeah like it's um it, like well there is necromancy outside of canon like... in the games uh yen performs at one point something that is pretty much exactly like this but it's pretty fucking scary you can see why it's banned in that universe <laughs> yeah but uh bags you'll remember in the the witcher 3 at one point Yen basically performs a necromantic ritual as well, and it's a lot like this one. Yes, um, yeah, that's this, and it, yeah, it has bad consequences for it. It destroys the yeah. ecosystem of a Skelligan Island. Like that was a whole thing. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. So she cast Blight, basically. Yeah. Yeah. In, in such a way as the Witcher lore will, will um, allow. There's also a thing um, <laughs> I thought worth noting. Um, like, I wasn't, I didn't really have the time to look through the books in detail to confirm this, but Visena and Corin meet where the Ina meets the Aruga. Um, which um, mm -hmm. I didn't really have time to look through the books in detail to see whether anything specifically interesting actually happens there. But that is a point that, like, um, Geralt in his journeys ends up in, well, at least a few times. Um, like, because, because there's at least a few times when he crosses the inner river himself. Uh, most notably, um, actually, when the bridge that Yurga is attacked by monsters on, it's never quite stated, but it's, like, sort oh. of in that area. Like, so it might well be the br a bridge over the Inna, because that's a fairly major river over there. So, but I'm not quite sure, because, like, the short story doesn't really ever name that specific river. But one thing that does definitely happen where, where the Inna meets the Aruga is that um, in Baptism of Fire, after Geralt and Dandelion escape the Sintran refugee camp, like, and meet up with Milva and Kahir again, by one of the uh, entry points of the Ida into the Yoruga, because it sounds like there's a weird delta thing going on, um, like, is where, basically where Geralt and Kahir have their first heart-to-heart -heart about, like, why the fuck are you following us? And after they begin, <laughs> they, they agree to travel yes. together. So that was just interesting. That was just, like, you know, a fun thing. Yeah. It's a it's a busy spot. I was just taking a look at the the sort of map of the world, and it's that's just a really. It is busy literally spot. in the middle of everything, so it's not especially surprising. Yeah. There's probably like no deliberate actual attempts to to to, to you know put events there. It's just that it is literally in the middle of the map of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So after Fasana does this necromantic ritual, and Corin really gets freaked out by it they proceed to sort of ride to the next town on the same horse with it. And as, as you said, the way that sort of the, the story does, their sort of internal monologues of sort of becoming attracted to each other. I like that she's sort of, her internal sort of monologue is like, oh, well, fate has blessed me with this guy and sort of like snuggles off to him well, while they're riding. There's also, there's also an, a semi-important bit that um, Corin explains that he was attracted, uh, he was attacked because he was distracted by looking at a sign um, in the crossroads. Mm -hmm like mm -hmm. that basically said something along the lines of if you go to the left you will return home if you go to the right you will return home and if you go forwards you will not return um and this is important yeah. both because it comes up later but also because... and it's the title of the story yeah it's a type <laughs> it's the title of the story as well um and also if i remember correctly like i vaguely remember like like slavic legends with that sort of thing, where there's a crossroads with three roads, and the hero, to continue on their journey, has to choose the one that, like, promises them certain death, basically. Mm. It's a fairly common trope, I'm pretty sure. I've, I've at least seen it in one cartoon, so... <laughs> well, that does get repeated. <laughs> well, the concept of, like, the devil at a crossroads is in yeah, Western yeah. folklore a lot as well, though. Like, crossroads are the sort of symbolic thing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing Corin says um, about this... Oh, wait, no, he says it later. Never mind. I was going to say something about 
the hag, but he figures that out he, later. He, he um, figures it out later, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of dialogue here that, that made me think uh, about Geralt so much. Um, so Corrin's sort of um, nattering at her while they're riding um, and is sort of like pestering her. He's like, oh, Vesetta. And she says, Corrin, do me a favor. Stop talking. I want to think. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally half of Geralt's interactions with Dandelion. Yeah. They have a real Geralt Dandelion thing going on through like a lot of the story, yeah. actually. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you can yeah. see the archetypes emerge. Like, which is quite yeah. funny because like Corin also has actually like a lot of like the more like literal side of Geralt that he's a big strong man with a sword. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Visenna's got his whole personality. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, incidentally, sorry, carry on, Max. I think I, I was going to say as well, you know, because there's a scrap quite mm-hmm. earlier on in the, in the text, and you can tell it's sapping just because oh, the way he writes yeah. sword fights is very, and and fights in general, it's a mix of quite poetic language, but also talking about you know hitting like breaking people's skulls and smashing them in the genitals and stuff like that. It, it kind of goes quite you know yeah, graphic yeah. and. Yeah, for sure. This is interesting. Yeah, so after they're sort of like slightly flirtatious, but not quite, um, ride into town, um, Vicenna is accepted there because she's a healer and she's told about the problems on the road and that there's something called a Koshe? Koshe? I mean, yeah, it depends Koshy, on the language. I think it's in the, games. The, cur- the spelling yeah. in English is derived from the Russian spelling, actually. Um, and that would have been, yeah, Koshe, um, which was the name of a. In this in this story, it is just the name of like a weird spider golem type monster. Um, yeah, it's like a weird spider golem. Furry crab. Yeah, Vicenna says it was mutated <laughs> yeah, from a common like, spider, but, but yeah. Um, in the original like Russian fairy tale about it, uh, Kashche the immortal was uh, was a sorcerer basically. Um, he was involved in some like kidnapping princesses shit. I can't actually remember that well. Uh, uh, he had an opportunity to have more kidnapped princesses. Yes, and pass literally by. missed the opportunity to include more <laughs> kidnapped princesses. Stabbing loss, like <laughs> literally, what a missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So she's told that there's um this. Yeah. Koshche. That's as close as you guys will get. Okay, well. <laughs> Look, man, I can barely pronounce. I can barely pronounce French, which I've been speaking oh, for to be thirty totally years. Fair, I have so. no idea what the pronunciation is like in Polish because I'm pretty sure it's not going to be spelled like it was in the in the English translation because I'm pretty sure they the monster's name is originally taken from a Russian fairy tale, so the word sort of existed in English before the translation of this of this short story. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's quite yeah. possible that it's probable, in fact, knowing Polish orthography, that like the Polish spelling is different. So I don't know how it would be yeah. pronounced than that. So you might well be closer to it than me with my Russian one. So shrug. <laughs> shrug. Okay. Um, this is the problem with not talking about a show anymore, is that <laughs> I have to think about how words are. <laughs> yes, I mean, fair. Uh- <laughs> Um, right, so she's told that the, the Koshe is it's a man-eater and it's holding this 
pass and it's only letting through its own um, people, which is this this gang um, that is sort of a a mix of sort of humans and uh, it's actually an incredible bit because it describes the like the gang basically using the Koshi to like monopolize trade in an area. It like already gets very very sapic with like you know basically. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, like, like there's, there's, there's just like the, to- yeah, the talk it's... about like how there, there's basically a completely pragmatic motivation beca- behind the actions of like the the the, the band and like whoever its creator was is a whole thing, right? Yeah, like I think. Oh yeah, it's it's already it's establishing a lot of the tropes in the series of you know it yeah. not being simply a case of a knight turning up in shining armor to slay the beast and save the day. It's here's here's a situation that's kind of there's a monster. How would people react to this in reality? How would they try and exploit the situation? How, how has this monster been created? Why is it there? Yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And there's like a whole interesting thing as well about like how <clears throat> there's already like things being set up about like how people with particular statuses are treated like both Vicenna and Corin in marked contrast to Geralt in all of his life are actually being treated with mm-hmm. respect by these villagers like Vicenna because she's you know a healer druidess like so so there's a whole thing going on clearly where like lo- the locals mm-hmm. actually respect the druids a lot while Corin as well is actually afforded a kind of respect because people think he's a knight judging just by mm-hmm. his entire getup, mm. like well someone calls um yeah. Senna a merciful benefactress exactly which is uh, uh, yeah like so clearly both of them are actually accorded respect in this area like and it's only later that we find out like again in a kind of inverse of Geralt that they're not as like how do you put this benevolent figures mm-hmm. as all that yes precisely um, did you think the sort of what we know about the sort of racial politics of The Witcher was interesting that we've got this gang of uh, humans. There's, they say there's a, a, a few humans, some Bobolaks, uh, Boba uh, Vrans, and an elf working together. Like, it, I don't think there's like much to be said on that front, to be totally honest, because like nobody really... Yeah, on is it, it maybe not much? set up yet by the time this is... I think it's probably mostly just not set up yet. And also, second of all, like, as with a lot of things in The Witcher, like, some themes just don't appear mm-hmm. in some short stories. Like, um, and in this case, I think, like, racial tensions don't mm-hmm. yet really appear. Like, what I, what I did think is interesting is actually that species that... I mean, they're never quite said to be extinct, but they're implied to, at the very least, be so rare that they're basically extinct by Geralt time are referenced mm-hmm. here. Like uh, Vrans and stuff, who, like, you know, in the main Witcher series, they are only, they only really appear, like, as a point of reference in order to discuss, like, literally, like, essentially lost civilizations. Mm. And it is worth noting that, like, Realistically speaking, this is probably set uh, about 150 years before the Witcher novels, by my estimate, just like calculating things in my head. So uh, there's that worth considering. Um, But like, 
But the Bobolucks and the Rans and the Vrans in this don't sound like they're how do you put this unique? Because because for instance, at one point, like uh, one of the peasants says that he fought in the army. They marched against the Rans with General whatever his name mm-hmm. was. Um, like so, there was clearly like even like some sort of Vran political community in living memory. Mm-hmm. From a historical standpoint, this is actually very interesting. Yeah, for sure. So we just get some more of, of Corin kind of nattering at Vicenna while she's trying to focus on the the task at hand. And this is where he figures out that um, he does a bit of uh, dandelion-style exposition. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that he figures out the, the trap at the crossroads, which was that um, the the lady monster that attacked him was clearly waiting for someone to turn up who can read because clearly, like, she had assumed that the only person traveling through the area who could read um, would have been the druid um, um, that the villagers sent for um, to help them against the um, Cachet's band. Um, Which turned out to be Vicenna in the end. But she came slightly later after Corin, who turns out also could read. (laughs) Yeah, actually parts to that. There was the part where it was that she, that Corin could read, but also that he offered help to the old woman instead of trying to rob her. So, yes. Yeah, so only a druid can read and not rob an old woman. <laughs> Which is a <laughs> grim statement about the world. <laughs> yeah. Very cynical. Um, I think there's also trap. something to be said for how like you can actually see like a little bit of like um, Geralt and Corrin here. Oh, because, yeah. Um, Geralt is also, how do they put this? Altruistic. Not just that, but he describes himself as a thug and stuff to Vilgefortz and shit. But he can also read. And, like, yeah, he's like, well-read. <laughs> he, like, occasionally fucking reads history books whenever he's staying at, like, <laughs> um, the Temple of Melitelli. Like, and in that conversation with Vilgefortz, um, like, in, in Times of Contempt, um, he actually... Like, you know, like, Wilgefortz actually observes that, like, you know, how the hell does a simple thug, quote-unquote, like, how the the hell is he so good at, like, debating an opponent? Like, um, and, and, and also, yeah, altruistic at the same time. So, like, you know... Oh, and constantly getting into trouble through his altruism, no less. Yeah. Yeah. Point being that, like, you know, Geralt also meets all of the requirements here and would have, like, also gotten in trouble just like his dad did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, during that conversation, Vicenna sort of, like, I I think, I don't know if they're implying that she's got some sort of clairvoyance because she weirdly inquires about the blacksmith. Yeah. I mean... Oh, you know what? Actually, no. No, I, no that's right. Minds, because she clearly read Corin's yeah. mind when she literally, like, basically mm-hmm. before he introduced himself to her, like, just quote-unquote guesses his name and then pretends that... I just... And then yeah. pretends that Corin <laughs> just, just mentioned it. Yeah. I actually just remembered that later, actually, the blacksmith says that he's the one that sent for Vicenna, so that's probably why. That would be why. Yeah, so she acquires about the blacksmith and lies that her horse has thrown a shoe. Uh, and we kind of cut to the blacksmith and find out that uh, Nicholas the blacksmith has been trying to rally men to fight the, the bandits. 
Uh, but they have captured his apprentice and um, appear yeah. to sort of interrupt his plans. Yeah, they, 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 they kill the other workers at the smithy. I have to say, Nicholas yeah. the blacksmith cleans up nicely. He actually fucking, you know, first of all, hammers the <laughs> commander in the, in the chest with a mace and then just runs for it. Yeah. Like, before... Before, like, Visena and Corin like, rescue him. He do- he deals fairly decently with this situation. Yeah, he sure does. Nicholas the- <laughs> yeah, he just picks up a rod yeah. and lungs Nicholas it, yeah. Blacksmith is the yeah. real hero of this story. An ordinary, you know, like, village blacksmith who just decides to fight for his people and, you know... <laughs> Um, basically, like, <laughs> basically fairly successfully, like, musters, like, a force to take on these bandits in the end. Yeah. And yeah, so he, he, once Vicenna and Corin rescue him, he sort of explains, yeah, that he's the one that sent for Vicenna. And, um, then Corin and Vicenna sort of sit together, trying to sort of figure out what, what to do. And Corin realizes Vicenna is reading his mind, and this is where he has his whole, like, yes, I'm just a simple thug and I'm not good enough for your plans. And um, his very yeah. Geralt monologue that we've mm. discussed. But then Vicenna returns it with an even more Geralt monologue. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen to this. Like, don't interrupt me. Yes, Corin, the people need our help and they're thankful and oftentimes honestly so, but they despise us, fear us, don't look us in the eyes, spit behind our yeah. backs. <laughs> the more intelligent like you are, less honest, but you are no exception. Um you know, blah, blah, blah. It would be easier for you if I had a grey beard. Then the revulsion against my person would not cause such confusion in your mind. Yes, Corin, revulsion. Like, she just has this full-on yeah. Geralt rant about, like, I'm a monster and nobody likes me and everyone's revolted by me. Right after he's had his I'm a thug and I'm nothing and I'm not good enough for you. <laughs> it's not directly related to this specifically, but around the same time there's another um, interesting thing I made a note about. Um... Nicholas mentions that mm-hmm. um, in old maps, um, the Klamath Pass, where the Kashche is lurking, um, is marked as uh, Durtan Orit, mm-hmm. the Gorge of Mice. Um, now, I actually find this interesting because, like, um, uh, his reference to the old maps implies that, like, you know, this, uh, like, and his, like, provision of, like, a direct translation. Um, towards this older name um, kind of implies that it's like a language that he knows um, so I was wondering if this mm. could possibly be like the only actual words of common that we find anywhere in Witcher lore because it doesn't sound like Elder like it doesn't uh. read like the later Elder of the Witcher series Like, so, so I yeah. was thinking, like, you know, like, is it hmm. possible that, like, Sapek is, like, throwing us a bone here with, like, what, like, the actual, you know, like, dialect of common in this area sounds like? I mean, it's so early in his development of the world that he may very well have thought about developing something for common through yeah. three words here and then just never it's also possible that he did didn't think too it. much about it but like you know just threw in random words and then in another in a non-specific other 
in universe <laughs> language. But just because it doesn't really sound at all like Elder to me, I'm choosing to believe that these that that we know three words of common. <laughs> um, yeah. So they they try to figure out how they're gonna gonna go and fight this uh, Koshe and. Um... You know, Corrin says, oh, we have an army. And Vicenna's like, we don't have an army unless I sort of cloud their minds with magic. And I'm not going to do that. Um, and she says she's going to go alone. It's basically, it's druid business. And, you know, Corrin isn't having that and goes with her. But he asks her what she thinks the cachet kosh- is. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying about, like, having a, a crossroads to choose between, you know, the, the road that leads to certain death. And Vicenna sort of says that she's afraid that the cachet is death. So... Kind of goes back it's a very Geralt thing to say. It is also yeah, a very Geralt thing to say. It is certainly very... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we, we also sort of get Visena describing um, sort of her her distaste for combat and how she almost vomits when Corrin... Th- when you thrust your sword into the Vran's throat at the smithy, I almost vol- vomited into the horse's mane. Yeah. And she kind of threw that back at him when he said that, you know, he was freaked out by her doing necromancy and it's just like well yeah. let's leave our individual yeah. specialties oh, to each it. other <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i love that she equates like a, a, a bit of no- gross but normal violence are with you actual sure necromancy. those are equitable things <laughs> like self-defense versus like yeah i mean because that's what like uh why yen yeah. basically <laughs> later on in the series describes necromancy is basically unacceptable which is just that like it's frowned upon out of respect for the sanctity of not even like 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 life but death rather like she she also sort of like in the in the games when she does it she sort of describes it as i think like being in a bath full of cockroaches and um centipedes and things like that it just feels disgusting to even like touch the magic which, I mean, if you buy that bit as canon, it's pretty scary that, like, Vicenna can just do yeah. it. <laughs> like, yikes. And, like, pretty casually. Uh, not for a bit of information she, she didn't really need. her child to <laughs> 66% of death, um, but... Uh, <laughs> not at Vicenna, oh, but... Gosh. At Vicenna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the next day, they they, they set off uh, up towards the pass, and they come across a group of bandits who are leaving the caves, and they've sort of fallen out with um, their leader, basically their chief. Yeah, yeah. and they're done. <laughs> they just want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so, like after a little bit of negotiation, they eventually leave. Yeah, and there's one particular bandit named Kel, who's a Bobolak, who kind of takes Vizetta aside and says, like, I was against the plan to attack you, and he's, like, quite polite. He, like, waves them goodbye, and he comes back later. Like, but... <laughs> yeah. I can't tell if it's because she read his bite or, like, because they actually know each other, but, like, she acts quite familiar with him as well. Mm, I think she... Well, she definitely does some clairvoyance stuff here, because, like, when they're negotiating, she kind of looks at them and, like, does, like, this, like, metallic voice and says, like, if you come back this way, yeah. you will die, and, like... Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely Which by the way is a nice callback to the to the to the title of the fucking short story. Yeah. <laughs> um if you come back this way you will die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um 
So they sort of proceed up to the cave where the bandits used to hide out and find uh, Freginal? Freginal? Freginal, I think. Freginal. They find Freginal, who is uh, also a druid. Uh, and he's sort of bound and beaten in bad shape. Oh, druid, right? Yeah, exactly. So she like searches around and finds some parchment with sort of forbidden spells that he stole when he was expelled from the druid circle. Um, sort of a, a, a spell called the Double Cross of Alzer, which creates magical monsters through uh, mutation. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like, the little things the, that Sapkowski is actually setting up about the druids in this short story, because it looks a little bit like he initially intended the druids of the Witcher universe to... Well, or I guess he didn't really know that this is the Witcher universe yet, but, like, the druids of this universe mm-hmm. um, like, to be a little bit more like the sorcerers eventually ended up being, because there's, like, clearly some sort of institutional weight behind the druid circles here mm-hmm. but while we still see in the main witcher series it's like like the impact of it is lessened they're more they're more like weirdo outsiders of the fringe of society mm-hmm. uh, than widely respected magic yeah. problem solvers yeah yeah it's possible he hadn't quite worked out sort of the line between because she refers to herself as a druid and a sorceress as well so yeah I mean, I think it's also worth saying that, like, that that's, like, less confusing to me because, like, I mean, you can't really draw a clean line between all magic fielders, you know? No, that's true. They're all kind of sorcerers. That's true. Like, um, just, like, you know, to varying degrees of institu- institutionalization. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that we get um, sort of this early, the sort of fascination with magic and mutation and magically mutated monsters yeah. and... Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. this was already after The Witcher, the short story, yeah. where Geralt was already a mutant. Um, yeah. That was one thing that was kind of established. Yeah. So, yeah, but still, it's interesting that that like, continues to be a fascination for Sapek. Mm-hmm. Um, even as he takes a foray into what he didn't initially intend to be directly related. Yeah. So what uh, Vicenna works out is that he's made a giant mutated spider, and that's this this cochet. And um, she's trying to find, basically, she's trying to find out what other spells he's stolen and uh, what else he's been up to. And he says he's destroyed all the other spells that he stole because he doesn't want anyone else making a rival creature. He like can't get it through his head that actually <laughs> no one else wants. Doesn't want the world full of, of frighteners and cochets. Um, and... You know, except for everybody. Yeah. I said to say, except 150 <laughs> years later, everyone in Season of Storms, apparently. And the dozens but, uh, of creatures that are in Lee yeah, the Lake. Um, oh, God. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can't get his head around the fact that she actually, no, really is there to stop him and destroy this thing. Um, and he accuses her, actually, of only being there to make money and says that the, the Druid Circle profits from the trade in Jasper and Jadeite and in selling amulets and that she's just mad that he's blocked the route. Which, by the way... What's fascinating, because that's actually, like, a kind of, like, once again, Sapek, like, delves into the... <laughs> um, it's it's actually, it's actually once again, Sapek setting up the idea of, it's actually okay for private businessmen to just want to make a little <laughs> bit of fun. <laughs> well, Vicenna sort of gives him sort of the silent treatment on this and doesn't really... She just kind of looks at Corin and doesn't say anything. Um... 
But it doesn't feel wrong. It sounds about right, to be totally honest. <laughs> like, it sounds like... Yeah, well... Thing that, like... Well, at the end, she... At the end, she has a chat with her little... Well, at the end, she has a chat with... Part of the conversation is, he's like, oh, well, I see you're not saying anything, so I guess you must have known. They didn't used to tell you greenhorns. And, like, later she has a little chat with her bird and seems to be like, well, why did Fregonal have to tell me about this? You should have told me. Yeah. And that's what so maybe she, she didn't, didn't know. No. Um, yeah. But also completely unfucking surprising. Like. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 like the primary motivation of a druid circle in this would be actually personal. Game. Yeah. Sapik <laughs> <laughs> so, um. <laughs> just can't help but like bring market economics back into his writing. He is an economist, like. <laughs> Uh, um, we do get a, a line with another one of his like frequent obsessions about the world is changing the people are beginning to understand they can live without magic and magicians in this sort of rant as well time that we really get that like that's that's at the very end isn't it like when when this uh we get it twice we oh, get it twice it, yeah we get it once like, during this yeah, little rant the and then again when she's talking to the, the bird. entire thing that's why people don't really like witches because you know they're they're redundant because we've got technology and metallurgy and we don't like magic users because they're starting to develop medicine yeah. um, and these are uncontrolled powers. Well, at yes. least certainly some um, people. But a lot of the people, it is basically just fucking the child napping. Yeah. <laughs> uh. It was um, the bit where she's trying to negotiate with with Frank and all and get him to actually help them and he's just like... You know, she's like, everyone wants to live, and if you don't help us out, then uh, we're just going to leave you here, and the peasants are going to tear you to pieces, and I'm going to pretend I didn't see anything. And then his response to that is to try to slut-shame her 14-year-old <laughs> yes, self. super yikes. That was, what the fuck? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was something. He goes like, you were cynical. Like, the rumors that, even when you were, like, you know, studying, the rumors that were going about you when you were 14 were... That was yeah. yikes. That was weird and yikes. I yeah. like Fregonal. Yeah, it was like, yeah, well, I don't think we're supposed to, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so she he agrees to help them um, kind of, um, not so much banish, as I guess unbind the muta- the spell that causes the mutation to make the spider giant um, in order to not be killed by a mob of angry peasants. So they depart and cross the field of corpses left by Fregonal's uh, cochet, which Corin is appalled by and basically just wants to kill him then and there. Um, but Fregonal somehow, despite being kind of, seems to be described as like old and not looking like he's been in great shape given he's been tied up and beaten. Um, he delivers he's like a house fast. kick. So I managed to take out Vicenna like... with a rock. <laughs> he basically... <laughs> Well, he, like, smashes a rock into Vicenna's head he and takes out Corrin's knee. Like... Corrin, like, at one point. It's like, what the fuck? What, what is, is it with these... Why are like... sorcerers mysteriously, like, martial arts experts in this universe? <laughs> I know, right? I feel like the idea of is kind of, like, Shaolin monks, like... <laughs> Monks in the Dungeons and Dragons sense. Yeah, literally like Dungeons and Dragons sense. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, so he is basically about to kill them when uh, Vicenna's 
little bird familiar intervenes and distracts him just long enough for God, our buddy Nicholas, Nicholas to show up bang. and save the day. <laughs> yeah. Nicholas is the real MVP of this story. Exactly. Hey, if Nicholas wasn't here, we'd never so, have a Geralt. You know, so. he's basically Geralt's godfather. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if she didn't want the kid, maybe she'd have left him with Nicholas. Yeah, literally go back to <laughs> P and live, live him with Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, blacksmithing would be a great job for Geralt. Yeah. <laughs> it would suit yeah. him. <laughs> um, <sighs> so, um, not only does Nicholas show up, but uh, Kel also shows up again. And um, Kel charges at, oh, wait, at sorry. the suddenly having just the merge. Yeah, and they, they also. They Which heal Visena using sir. a magic rock. Yes, Corian remembers that Visena used hematite to heal him and finds it in her bag and heals her. Um, it's by the way, that hematite thing was very interesting to me because it was it's quite an unusual magic for the Witcher. Mm, yeah. You don't really see like healing items pop up again. No, it's always like magic magic. Yeah, like... yeah. Like, you know, it's hover your hand over a wound for several hours and... Mm-hmm. It closes over rather than like this sort of like arcane focus type thing. So I just thought that was cool. Hematite, um, if I remember rightly, I mean like that means like bloodstone. It is um in sort of like if you're into like crystals and shit, it is sort of associated with like healing. So early druid is so fucking weird. They're simultaneously shallowed monks and wide monks <laughs> with <the> <laughs> I do quite like hematite, though. It's a really pretty stone when it's polished. Very sort of heavy for yeah. its size. Um, yeah. Might have had quite a lot of hematite in my witchy phase as a teenager. Shh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. Vicenna um, kind of comes to as Nicholas and Corin go to also fight the, the cochet and uh, casts her spell, which, again, is just like, she kind of just like, it's just like a like a power word kind of thing. She just casts her spell and no more cachet. Yeah, she's a deus ex Vicenna. Yeah. Not for the first time. Right. <laughs> the last time. Yes, In yeah, not the last time. She's first. the deus ex Vicenna. <laughs> um... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Geralt ex Vicenna. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, unfortunately, Kel has lost his arm and is bleeding out. And she says there's nothing she can do to heal him because uh, Bobolak's uh, metabolisms are too different from humans and she doesn't, there's nothing she can do. Uh, so she has to magically mercy kill him, which is a bit much. By the way, Kel delivers a line I absolutely love at this moment where, like, you know, basically they ask him why he, you know, rushed in to help them. And he just says, because Bobolex metabolisms are, are <laughs> from humans with a grin. <laughs> and then the mercy killing. It's, it's actually like an incredible last set of words. Gonna be. Uh, gosh, the last. Yeah. Well, redheaded witch, your prophecy was right, but you need to fulfill it yourself. Oof. Yeah. Like, yeah. One has to observe that. Kel was probably, statistically speaking, knowing everything about that universe, one of the last Bobolaks, and, you know, this entire affair just kind of, like, contributed to the extinction of a species. <laughs> well, Vicenna does cry over it, and she doesn't seem like someone who gets too upset over things very often, so... 
I think she seems to be well aware of how well momentous. she's a true this, right? Like so you'd think that like she has an yeah. awareness of like ecology. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's really ecology um, for discussing the like sapient species. You know, but I mean that's basically what discussing the extinct that ecology is basically discussing the extinction chances of humans. So, um... yeah, fair. <laughs> oh, that got a little grim in our escapist fantasy podcast. <laughs> um, I don't think The Witcher yeah, is the so best can... place to extinct escape global climate change. No, it really isn't. Uh, that is literally, if you want a fantasy series to escape it to, that's not where you go. <laughs> uh, um, yes. Anyway. Yeah, so sort of our last scene is that uh, the her bird, Vicenna's bird familiar shows up again um, and sort of starts chirping at her and she can clearly understand bird speak. Um... So this is where, yeah, I think she didn't know because she says, it saddens me that I learned about the whole affair from Fregadol and not from you. Uh, I've known you for years, but and I know you're not very talkative. So she's like, the bird knew about this yes, jade trade. The bird was in on the jade And didn't mafia. tell her. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of stories that you want to uh... find out about from Sapek, how a bird was in on a jade mafia scam. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit more of your Sapek uh, small business owners are allowed to make money though. It's just like I don't refuse to be paid for healing if somebody offers the money and I know he can afford it. I know that the price for certain services can be quite high, and for good reason. Everything is becoming more and more expensive. You yeah, like the fact that she goes on a tangent <laughs> about that to the way that frankly Geralt never even bothers to is actually even more. Here's where here's Sapek and his neoliberal face. Um, like, <laughs> oh gosh yeah <laughs> and then Corin turns up just as she passes like the spot where they first met like because he's waiting for her there yeah yep and uh oh i like what he says to her he he says um admit it you are possibly clouding my mind with magic because i feel quite <laughs> some joy at this meeting a downright unnatural joy <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a i think that's charmer. quite sweet Born that's like quite, quite a charming guy. line actually <laughs> like objectively uh, and they kiss he really is um yes i like i love that the that both of them had had sort of the thought about aimlessly wandering the woods and country roads by themselves independently and now they kind of have it together it's i mean it's very sweet it's because both of them are Geralt really so yeah <laughs> just like different aspects of him like mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get the call back to the uh to the title of the the book that uh this really is the road with no return and she tells the bird to fly off back to the druid circle and tell them nothing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that was our introduction to Geralt's mom. So yeah, just thought it would be fun to to do this, given that uh, this is going to come out after episode. Can that be how we titled the episode, Geralt's mom? Uh... Yeah, sure. (laughs) Geralt's mom 101. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just thought it would be good. We discussed the moms of the Witcher, which similarly to (laughs) Disney moms, disappear and never come back. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> At least Vicenna gets a backstory. Disney moms never get that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought it would be fun to have this given that she makes that brief appearance in episode seven. So episode seven is going to be out this Thursday and then this will come out the week after. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that people can get a little introduction to Vicenna as, as something other than just sort of healing Geralt, giving him no answers and then fucking off. Yes. Admittedly, <laughs> still no answers, even from here. But right now, I'm convinced that, like, um, judging by her prolonged monologues about how a, how a uh, businessman has the right to turn a profit in these troubling times when everything is getting more expensive, <laughs> I'm guessing she sold him to the witchers. <laughs> Oh, like God. I have this suspicion. Oh, Vicenna. Just like from how she sounds at times. <laughs> oh no. I mean, admittedly, also I don't actually think that, but like, would we be really surprised? Yeah. No, uh, I just really want to believe that because the only out I can possibly give Vicenna is that she clearly has some kind of clairvoyance. If there's any possible way that she might have had an idea that she had to do this, because. Because, I mean, Geralt's pretty fucking important to the entire yeah. fate of the yeah. multiverse. Um, I mean, <laughs> to be totally honest, I don't, I, I'm not actually reading all of that as clairvoyance. Aaron. Like, I'm pretty sure it's just mind reading. Like, ordinary mind reading. Uh, like, mm. because the entire thing where she says, if you come back here, you will die. That, to me, just sounded more like a generic threat than anything else. You know highlighted with a little yeah, bit of like I couldn't know, tell whether she just like you know basically D&D 5e thaumaturgy where you just... I was about to say that I can't, can't can't tell if she cast thaumaturgy and passed her intimidation check or if like she the metallic voice was an actual yeah I mean of... to be fair, it could be like she could yeah. legitimately have some weird clairvoyance things we know that that is a thing the witcher universe um, but it's usually Mm-hmm. I, I can't really think of any cases where people do it at will. So, like, I'm pretty sure that mm-hmm. was just a very successful intimidation check. But, <laughs> I, I mean, that's at least just how I read it. Um, but the if if we're discussing, like, you know, Vicenna's behavior towards Geralt, um, I do think, actually, that the most convincing way it can be explained to me, personally... Because also at the same time, I have to be real here. Even after reading this, reading this short story, I can't really look at Vesada's character and say why exactly. I have no idea. Don't know how you guys feel about it. Um, like, but my only theory for what it was that made her choose the Witchers as the destination for Tiny Geralt instead of you know, literally Nicholas, right? Um, like um is that i mean she expresses at one point in her conversation with Geralt about this in the short story where they meet um what she calls you know the fucking collegial sympathy towards the witchers and like on some level it is partly a joke based on the fact that her son is literally one of them um like but also Mm. There's probably something to be said for how, like, a druid probably, especially at the time when Geralt became a witcher, might have understood the necessity of a cast that fights monsters. I mean, exactly. in particular, given so, what she's So my just personal seen. read is literally just that she thought it was a perfectly good trade, just like Jurga. Like, it's just that, like, mm. 
it there is a very real question to ask about whether that's a moral decision to make when two thirds of those kids that don't fucking survive. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Well, did she? I mean, Inflin's prophecy is very the point she gave him away. Like, yeah. So, is it possible if she's clairvoyant and she knew that she might have? Maybe, but then had some also worth saying that, like, it is worth saying that we never quite. It's never quite sure, clear what. Geralt's role in the prophecy is slash was because it kind of never came to fruition. Like... Mm. Or it did. Um, and, you know, it was never meant to... <laughs> yeah, I guess, yes. To be fair, yes, because, <laughs> like, um, the prophecy never actually talks about, how do I put this, an exit clause. Like... I never thought about this, but there is actually one thing to be said for the prophecy, yeah. and it's that it doesn't actually say that anyone will save the world. Yeah, it just says yeah. the time of, you know, the white frost and contempt and all that. It doesn't say, and low Exactly, the right? Large like, it's only save like, the world and warm uh, what's it up her face? Nidue, who says that the chosen, like, you know, f- f- fucking chosen one basically could have could have saved the world. But the prophecy doesn't say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no um, evidence that she could, yeah. Hmm. Only talks yeah. about the white wolf, like that, um, obviously. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said for how, like, probably, like... I mean... The only, my, the only evidence that I have for her not being stone-cold and for actually, like, maybe having some hint that he had to be a witcher was just like in the books and not in the show um that when he says like you don't call me that name you have no right Vesemir gave me that name she says no he didn't and just that there was this like one little actually buy that as like evidence of like her knowing anything in particular other no it's just like maybe that i mean i just i mean it is entirely also worth saying having just like sold her kid entirely possible that something might have happened that could have put Visede in a position where she needed to give him away. I, I, actually, I actually think that, like, um, my personal oh, yeah, no reading of the entire thing, and this is based on the books more than the show, because to be totally honest, show Visede seems like a little bit more of an arsehole. I don't know why. I think just, like, the way she talks in those flashbacks sounds, like, weirdly patronizing oh, yeah. to baby Geralt. Like... <laughs> yeah, and she... Doesn't have yeah, the line about having given like, him the name and stuff, um, so she's way less empathetic. But like, like based like, off all these of little the things. books, yeah. my actual personal reading is that like I, I I am inclined to believe that there probably was some reason why she needed to give him away that probably was not how they put this invalid. Like um, we might never know what it is. Pro- Sapek has probably never written never written whether physically or in his head what it is. Um, but I think it's not impossible that there was one. Uh, the real moral question in my head is, is it moral to give away a child to a cast where only a third of all boys survive the training? Mm. I suppose in that case, like, you have to consider Yurga's response to that, which is that, like, there's plague and famine and war. Boys die. There's lots of things that can kill you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and 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 that is a perfectly valid possible answer. Mm-hmm. Like, and the, I I do actually like I I can completely imagine a scenario where like, actually like you know fucking what do you call her Visena was thinking the same way. It's a trade as good as in. 
Mm-hmm. Like, and and genuinely believe that there is a need for witchers in this world and, like, believe that it was a good path for her son. Again, especially because the only thing we see of her really is her having, her nearly dying trying to save a, a village from yeah, like, a monster. Yeah, like, she, she basically did the same job just for, like, arguably less straightforward motivations. Um, so, so, so I don't think it's impossible to just, like, believe in the idea that Viseda just believes that the witchers are good and worthy of respect and new recruits, in fact. Um, <laughs> like, um, and, you know, like, whether that was a valid risk to take is, I think, a very your mileage may vary kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I would I do not endorse giving away children to situations where mm. two thirds of them die. <laughs> hot take: Don't give your child away to a dangerous trade. Personally, hot I would take urge here people to not give their children away to witches. I would not approve um, of something. <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> Uh, it's like the opposite of yeah, speaking as a mother. Uh, to, on that note, actually, um, while I was looking for references to the Ina in the other books, I briefly glanced at I briefly glanced at the Yorga short story, specifically the Kalanfi flashback in it, where Kalanfi basically um, refuses to give Siri to Geralt, and Geralt also basically says, "You know, like I'm not actually here to take the kid. I just wanted to make sure that." That they're fine. Like, and uh, Calanfe pretty much, like, sums up why people really hate, like, the law of surprise. Like, by just going, like, it is, you know, like, stressful playing with, like, parents' emotions. Like, she was, she's like, aren't, aren't there enough children out in the wild? Don't have parents, you know, who, um, like, uh, are orphaned by war or plague or famine or whatever. Like, who would be perfectly good recruits. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, is that not also where Geralt admits, yeah, and that's actually where most witchers come yeah. from. The law of surprise is more related to, like, some sort of tradition they have that children of surprise who become witchers become, Just like, better. Just ones. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so? Does that imply that, um, our Eskel and Lambert like, I don't be children of surprise? I remember any well. explicit I have no idea. I can't remember. To... Because, like, I mean, like they I think exist in the games, the game. like they... Lambert might be. I vaguely recall something of the like. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, they barely exist outside of the games. So... <laughs> yeah, the show, I think, might do something with them because um, they've, you know, they've the not show... made a big deal about it, but there's been sort of a lot of The show of better give me a coin storyline. Uh, like because i i want to see like uh an occasional cut to cohen like fucking enlisting in the tiberian army (laughs) to fight the (laughs) dull guardians oh gosh uh yeah after tris gives him the tris basically kills him when you think about it um yeah when you think yeah just if we want to lay more things at tris's feet tris killed cohen (laughs) admittedly that does have the Side effect in turn that that saves Shani's life, but Triss killed Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Triss. 
You've ruined another <laughs> man's life. Uh, <laughs> well, I do like Shawnee, though. I'm glad Shawnee isn't yeah. dead, so. Like, because, because, like. Because that would be another Geralt, you fucked an underage girl <laughs> and she died. Uh, yeah. Because, like, there's yeah. too many of those. Yeah. That's a good point to wrap it up, I think. <laughs> no, I, I just think that, yeah, this, the summary yeah. of it is, is that you can, to- you can entirely see the template being laid out for the rest of the world and for the archetypes of characters that are in it and the kind of stories that are told. Um... And you can see the development of Geralt's character by proxy. It's a very informative and illustrative little story. And like all his short stories, it's nice and self-contained as its own little thing, as well as fitting into the wider world. This is the thing as well, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, If Sapik wanted to write more stories, Sapik, please don't give us another season of Storms. I'm going to be real here. I think I speak for all of us when I say that it was fun, Mm. but we didn't enjoy it. Um, Like... (laughs) <laughs> it's all right. Just write other stories Forget in here. the same world just with write different about characters. Other people. There's nothing yeah. there. Just give us more Vicenna stories. I would read a like, whole series of Like, literally give stories. us more Vicenna and Corin. Yeah. We will read that shit. It's like someone, yeah, like someone was saying, like some of the most interesting and best stories in the Star Wars universe have nothing to do with the Skywalkers. Um, I can't speak to that because you know I, I've not I, really. That, that, that's that's I've my not, take. Gone in the extended well, universe. Yes. But... <laughs> oh, is it you? Well, there we go. Well, I mean, even if we don't delve deep into the EU, like the best Star Wars movie is arguably Rogue One. So. Uh, yeah, it's up there. It's that. The best, the best canon yeah. Star Wars content really is the Clone Wars TV series. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if we're just talking movies, possibly Rogue One, but oh yeah, Clone Wars, the the series, like is like Star Wars, absolutely is just so much Star better. It just lets go of the, the Skywalker family drama and the same probably, like literally write about someone else in the same universe topic. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap up there. Um, all right, that's our show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher cast and email us at castapod to your witcher at gmail.com. Uh, our thanks for our music to, which is um, Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Milislav Kolar. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye.